You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, WHTT.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT, we're going to talk about a hot subject. And our intrepid reporter, Craig Hansen, has gone to a synagogue here recently to hear a person from ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, talk about anti-Semitism. And of course, as Israel continues to mistreat the Palestinians, what we've seen, the killing of dozens of people in Gaza that were protesting and the means to control opposition is they can basically shut the dialogue by calling people anti-Semites. So, Craig, thank you so much for going. Could you give us a little um, detail what you learned there? Yeah, thanks, Tom. Yeah, this was an interesting experience. I've got some notes from this and putting it together into a piece that I think hopefully will get posted on our site. And I've entitled this, it's pretty inflammatory, but the, the title goes something like this. Israel exists, but it doesn't have a right to. So that should get some attention. Basically, I had the opportunity to attend an ADL, Anti-Defamation League, a presentation at a local Jewish congregation this last week. And it was part of a four-part series entitled, quote, The New Anti-Semitism, end quote. And the speaker was a gentleman named Seth Birsk, B-R-Y-S-K. He's the uh, ADL Central Pacific Region Director. And he described something which I'd never heard of before, and I, it, it makes complete sense, especially being in the Bay Area. And he described how the ADL now is so sophisticated that it has artificial intelligence computers or AI computers searching the internet and media outlets for any, quote, anti-Semitism by their definition that might be occurring. So ADL, uh, welcome to We Hold These Truths. We know you're listening. (laughs) So that's where I'm going to start. And from now on, I'm not going to use the phrase anti-Semitic, but I will use the phrase anti-Jewish. My Palestinian neighbors and friends are a Semitic people and And I believe that using the phrase anti-Semitic to mean anti-Jewish is an insult to their heritage. And so I'll try to stay away from that phrase or put it in quotes when I do say it. Seth Burtz presented a measuring tool to see how anti-Jewish a person really is. It's put out by the ADL. and He had it up on the big screen that goes through question by question and gave you time to reflect and think about your answer to the questions. It's an 11-question survey, and the answers, your two choices, either being probably true or probably not true. If a person answers probably true zero to one time, then they would not be considered, they would say, anti-Semitic, or basically you'd be essentially free of any anti-Jewish views. If you answered probably true to two to five of these questions, that would put you in a, quote, neither prejudiced or unprejudiced camp. But if you answered positive to six or more, that category is reserved for the most anti-Jewish views, and that's definitely, you'd be considered, quote, anti-Semitic. 
in their view. So what are these defining questions that define who ADL considers to be, quote, anti-Semitic? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's the list. They're indexed. Now, remember, your answer either has to be probably true or probably not true. Okay, here we go. So here's the first question. Jews stick together more than other Americans. Next, Jews always like to be at the head of things. Jews are more loyal to Israel than to America. Jews have too much power in the USA today. Jews have too much control and influence on Wall Street. Jews have too much power in the business world. Jews have a lot of irritating faults. Jews are more willing than others to use shady practices to get what they want. Jewish business people are so shrewd that others don't have a fair chance at competition. Jews don't care what happens to anyone but their own kind. Jews are not just as honest as other business people. Well, that's the list, and I'll, I'll let you think about your answers right now. I'm, when I post this article, I'm going to have my comments on, on each one of these questions. But uh, that's, that's the question. And what was, what was interesting in the Seth's presentation, as he was going over this, and, and one older uh, Jewish woman was in the front row, and she raised her hand, and she basically said that she believes that people are, quote, anti-Semitic because they are, quote, jealous of excellence, end quote, with the implication of Jewish superiority and, and accomplishments. So that was her comment. What was interesting is never once in Seth's presentation was there ever a hint that some of the dislike for Jewish people could be because of their bad behavior as a group. Uh, but that's a, that's a whole other discussion. We won't go there right now. But that totally eliminated. You know, he didn't even, didn't even go there in any of his presentation. But throughout his presentation, Seth said several times, that being anti-Israel is not being, quote, anti-Semitic. So I thought that maybe we could have some common ground here because we've maintained that the policies of Israel towards the Palestinians is bad, the whole Zionist agenda is bad, and so forth. I said, okay, so if there's a separation here between being anti-Israel and being anti-Jewish, maybe we could talk about this. And his statement was actually in sharp contrast to any uh, Christians United for Israel or Kufi meetings that I've attended because uh, with Kufi, if you say anything against Israel, it makes you, quote, anti-Semitic. So I thought, you know, Kufi is definitely more rabid on this than even Seth was. So I thought, okay, maybe we have some common ground here. Seth mentioned that some of the most vocal critics of Israel are Israelis. And he says, if you want to hear criticism of Israel, go to Israel. And there's a lot of people that speak out against Israel and their, their treatment of the Palestinians and so forth. So therefore, in his mind, and he, as he presented it, it's definitely a separation between being anti-Israel from being anti-Jewish or anti-Semitic. So with that said, after the presentation, I went up to him and I asked if the criticism of Israel and its policies are not inherently anti-Jewish, why did he say that supporting BDS, the uh, Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions against Israel, is inherently anti-Semitic. So he, you know, so he made the separation, but yet when it came to BDS, he lumped it both back together in saying, if you support BDS, you're an anti-Semite. That's what he said. And so um, when I asked him the question, 
his response was, now this, here, this is exactly what he says, because, quote, because supporting BDS is an attempt to delegitimize Israel's right to exist, end quote. When he said that, it's kind of like a light bulb went on for me. So it, why does Israel have a, quote, right to exist, end quote? Where did it, uh, that right and how did that right come into being? And so that's where researching this topic has led me into to two excellent books on the origin of the present-day state of Israel. And when looking for the right Israel seems to possess, the only right I could find comes from the phrase, might makes right. And the, the two books I'd like to recommend, first, Against Our Better Judgment by Alison Weir, in subtitled The Hidden History of How the U.S. Was Used to Create Israel, and the second book is called Genesis by John B. Judas. And interesting is he is Jewish. And it's subtitled Truman, American Jews, and the Origin of the Arab-Israeli Conflict. Again, uh, as revealed in both of these books, the only right that the Jewish Zionists had to establish their nation was the right that comes from might is right. That might was demonstrably expressed through the Jewish financial and banking interests, they effectively bought Harry Truman's support for creating the Jewish state through their $2 million support of his re-election campaign. And a very telling quote Truman made in 1945, quote, I have to answer to hundreds of thousands who are anxious for the success of Zionism. I do not have hundreds of thousands of Arabs among my constituents. And so that, that, that book, Genesis, really goes into basically how Truman sold out to the Zionist interests. It's very good at that. Now, uh, Against Our Better Judgment really exposes more of the corruption through the total judicial system, especially with the Supreme Court Justice uh, Louis Brandeis. So anyway, I highly recommend these books to anyone to see the effects of Jewish power on our political and judicial system. One more thing before I close. Seth made a comment that really jumped out to me. He said, quote, Judaism is closer to Islam than to Christianity because both Islam and Judaism have codes of conduct to protect their people group, end quote. And I would use the word tribe because that's the foundation of the racist nature of Judaism, and we've seen that outworking of protecting that tribe at the expense of others. And I'd like to finish with a quote that Jesus made in uh, Mark 11, chapter 17. And Jesus said, And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Okay, any questions? Thank you for that report, Craig. That was excellent. The dilemma that we have is we have no way to be silent about Israel's activities, and we have no way to separate Israel's activities from our Jewish friends unless they come out on our side. And we know several I don't want to say many, but we know several who are our most adamant allies in the battle for peace, the struggle for peace that we're in. And in every case, they blame Israel for being a big part of this movement toward war. And of course, that's very evident right now in the current events that are going on where we've just, again, gone in and, and openly bombed Syria and the prominent Jewish organizations have 
fully supported this and come out and, and stated that we didn't go far enough, we didn't do enough, we could have done more, and they deserve it. And so our open advocates of war. And we must remember that things have not changed so much from uh, the day when Jesus was on the Damascus Road. The old Jewish order had just pretty much gone by the wayside, and the era of the New Testament was upon us, but there still was the struggle against the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And maybe we should just call our Jewish, Jewish friends Pharisees and Sadducees and let them pick which one they are. Yes, and uh, one of the things that, of course, that this subject, quote-unquote, anti-Semitism, there are many Jewish people, including the likes of Galad Otzman, is a famous world-class saxophone player. He's from Israel. He lives in the UK, but right now he's being sued for libel in the high court of England by the campaign against anti-Semitism chairman Gideon Falter for some remarks that he made on his own private website. And this is pursuing it for a freedom of speech uh, aspect. And Galad Osman has been very much an outspoken critic of Israel and its policies. And of course, what is known as anti-Semitism is really a control mechanism that, of course, is used to close down debate. But on the other side of the coin, this type of thinking is used to propagandize the people of Israel starting at a young age. And we would recommend an excellent documentary. We'll have a link to it. It's called Defamation. And this was made by an Israeli Jew. And it talks about the control mechanisms. For example, the high school students in Israel are... I don't know if they're required, but many of them do go to Poland to visit the death camps, Auschwitz. They're told on the way there, this man that made the film actually went there, but they're told that uh, everybody hates Jews and not to talk to anybody. And they go to visit the uh, museum and it's a very emotional experience. And so it, in essence, prepares them for duty in the Israeli Defense Force. So these kinds of conditioning uh, are also played on the people of Israel. And so there's two sides to the coin here. Well, what was interesting, Tom, I I was surprised because I thought this event was announced anyway in the, the local newspaper, and there were four sessions. One had already passed, and this was going to be the second one, and there's two more. And I thought, in being in the newspaper, and it's pretty wide distribution, I thought there'd be a pretty good crowd coming to hear this. And so I got there early, and I thought seats would be at a premium. And I got there 15 minutes early, and I was the first one in. Only about 25 people showed up. And of the 25 people, I'd say at least 20 to 22 of them were Jewish people from the congregation. So really, he truly was preaching to the choir, except for a couple of us. Well, that certainly is an interesting approach because there's been campaigns, particularly with the Christian Zionist crowd, is equating anti-Semitism to anti-Zionism. Tom, let's talk about these 11 questions. As Craig went through these, several of the last ones I really probably would not agree with, but of the first few questions, Jews stick together, that basic idea, that's ridiculous to say otherwise. I would hope to say that Christians stick together, too. 
Sometimes yeah. we don't stick together as well as we should, but we certainly <laughs> should stick together based upon common principles, ideas, and philosophy of some kind. We should have at least some association, and we think we do through our churches and other organizations. Sure, Jews stick together. They really stick together. They don't have 50 denominations like we do. Do Jews have too much control over Wall Street? Well, too much for who? Yeah, they have too much for my thinking, simply because of the way they use their power. I don't care how much money they have. I don't care how much control they have over Wall Street and the stock market as long as they don't use it to bomb Syria or to influence our president to bomb Syria. So it all depends on how you answer these, but in honesty, of the first five or six things you mentioned, I found myself predominantly agreeing with the first several of those choices you raised. Why don't you go over the last four or five again? Or, sure, um, sure. Okay, two, three, four, five. <laughs> One of them I thought was kind of humorous. It says, Jews have a lot of irritating faults. That was one on the list. And I don't know if it's just Jews in general or just people from New York. That, that's it. I don't know how that, how that works. But anyway, that, that was been my experience. So I, I how about Baptists having a lot of faults? How about Catholics <laughs> having a lot of faults? I think <laughs> Man, let's apply that question fairly. Yeah. <laughs> try that, with, try that, with, our, try that with, uh, with all the people we can think of. And, in most cases, we would come up and find that, yeah, you can say that's true. We have a lot of bad faults, among which are the ones that uh, we struggle against all the time, such as war, wanton spending of our dollars, right. or worthless purposes like killing other people, things like that. Yeah. Show me otherwise. Jews are not predominant in the movements that are supporting the wars in the Middle East right now. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we're most against. Uh, go ahead. What else do you have uh, for? Next one. Jews are more willing than others to use shady practices to get what they want. And I'll go more into this in my piece, but the, uh, the thing that jumped out right at first is the Kol Nidra prayer that they make during Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which basically says any vows they make, they don't have to abide by those vows. So it's a really bad thing. I'll do a little piece on Kol Nidra. Uh, later on, but that allows them in their religion to get away with basically lying, stealing, and cheating, and it's it, it's okay. And so I would I came positive on that one as well. But that so as Christians, we just don't have to agree with their religion. I don't I don't think we should we should yeah. think that we do. Uh, it's it's not our religion, right? Is it? No. And Many of the, you know, a big percentage of the Jews don't even, uh, don't, you know, are not religious. They don't even believe in God or anything, you know. So right. I think it's a bad case of the normals of the human condition that have a sinful nature. I'm just thinking of the Baptist preacher, Robert Jeffress, who's the pastor of the largest Southern Baptist church in Dallas. He's a spiritual advisor to Donald Trump. We've talked about this before. But he's actually called for killing the leader of North Korea, and he used the Bible to justify it. So that's kind of that would be the same thing as this Kol Nidra, which is part of the is it it's part of the Talmud. It's not part of the uh, Torah that most Orthodox Jews believe in. So, yeah, well, do us Christians have our own version now of the Kol Nidra, uh, which is basically Trumpism? <laughs> well, that might be one too, Tom. Let's hear the next one on the list. Jewish business people are so shrewd 
that others don't have a fair chance at competition. Business people are business. I mean, you know, so attributing to one group over another, I think it's, it's a part of human nature. We have sin nature. That's the fundamental belief of Christianity, that we are sinners. We've fallen short, and Jesus Christ came to uh, atone us for our sins. And, of course, this is a hard concept to, to grasp for a lot of people. Shrewdness uh, or intelligence is not itself a measurement of uh, right or wrong. Right. And uh, I think in all fairness, anybody who takes a fair look will say, what is the percentage of Jews in the world today? 5%, something like that? Is it less than that? I don't know. And yet, look at accomplishments in, in medicine and in major sources and all, all kinds of things. Let's give the devil his due. Uh, if you'll forgive the expression, Jews. But Jews are great accomplishers. I don't see that's a bad thing. Right. We it's, only think it's bad when they use their skills to bring about death and, of course, theft. And that sometimes does happen, and our Jewish friends are the first to proclaim that. Right. When it helps the tribe at the expense of others. That's what you're saying, and that's what I agree with. Mm -hmm. And the, the last two... Jews don't care what happens to anyone but their own kind, and Jews are not as honest as other business people. I would skip those two. I wouldn't proclaim on either of those, would you? I think it's too, too much generalization. Yeah, yeah. Uh, certainly, I would have scored five or six at least, wouldn't I? I certainly would have put myself in the radical anti-Semite camp, I would think. Right, yeah, and, that, and that's the whole point, Chuck, as we got into this. In the old days... If you were anti-Semitic, it was because you were against the Jews because of their race or their religion. But now with this list that ADL has put out, this has got nothing to do with the race or religion. It's all these other things that have somehow now been uh, lumped into and molded into what it means to be, quote, anti-Semitic. Because like I, like I said earlier, they, and Seth never brought up, is being anti-Jewish a part of them doing bad things, like we've talked about here. And so if, if you criticize them for doing bad things, somehow now that's anti-Jewish. It's crazy how they've, they've lumped it in. So that it's kind of like the a moniker, you know, if you're an anti-Semite, that's their get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, you throw that down, and they can, they can do whatever they want because you can't criticize me because I'm going to criticize you with this uh, epitaph. All right. Well, thanks so much, Craig, for that fascinating report. We admire your courage to go in there into the sort of the lion's den. But obviously, there are Jewish people that we relate to quite well. People like Norman Finkelstein. We talked about Gilad Otzman. Gideon Levy, the Israeli journalist that writes for the Haritz newspaper. He's quite an amazing individual. And they have the same kind of problem that we have in, in the U.S. There's very few people that are attuned to what's going on. We, uh, as Americans, generally fail to recognize that we're a, a, an empire, and uh, it's based on uh, war. We're a war-based economy, and uh, the Israelis suffer the same thing. We've talked about this before. The book that we published in 1999, we titled One Nation Under Israel, but the original title 
was when it was written in 1990 is really more apropos today. It was entitled Holocaust to Saving Israel from Suicide. And so unfortunately that's that's what's happening is both the US and Israel through their policies are committing national suicide and not too many people seem to even be aware of this. There are people like the Gideon Levy's and and uh, Norman Finkelstein's and that that are out there uh, that they're drowned out by the din of all the propaganda we get from our media and government. So we hope maybe listening to this, you'll look at the, the books that were recommended by Craig. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcast. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.